You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. This is the third out of four podcast episodes with the HTASIC. Today we speak about future implications of the European HTA and how the next generation Gen Z probably can get involved. So stay tuned for a nice interview with Arthur and Katrin. Now, if you work on the regulatory space, there's a lot of interlinking between timelines on the HDA side and on the regulatory side. You need to work on these kind of different things pretty early on. You can't just think about it when you're done with your submission. That's definitely too late. There's a lot of different needs across the different countries. And there will be something like a single joint clinical assessment of you. How will that look like? We'll talk about these kind of things today. And especially also if you work in R&D, have a listen to this one and how you can work together with your counterpart, hopefully you have one, on the HDA or the market access side. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library. Lots of free stuff on HA there as well. All the PSI webinars and much, much more. Head over to psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Transition. Today, I'm really happy to speak with Arthur and Katrin about HTA again. And today we'll talk about the future implications of HTA and also about the next generation of statisticians and what they need to be successful in this area. Probably also what currently people need to be successful in this area. So even if you're not next gen, then <laughs> this is for sure something that is, that is of interest for you. But let's start first with a short introduction of the guest today. Katrin, do you want to go first? Yeah, happy to go first. Hello, Alexander. Good morning. So I'm Katrin. I'm leading the group of statisticians responsible for HTA, market access, and HUR within Bristol MyScript. And my team is dealing with all additional analysis, which are not part of the CSR, which are needed for market access purposes, for HTA submissions, for economic modeling. So all of all those kind of analysis on the clinical data. I studied biomathematics and I hold a PhD in data science, so a different field. And then I worked for a CRO. I was self-employed and I'm with BMS since 2014, working in the HTA space and happy to have the discussion today with you, Alexander and Arthur. Okay, very good. Arthur, what about you? Yeah, good morning and thank you for having me. I'm Arthur. I'm a statistician working at Daishi Sankyo Europe. I am also responsible for TA and medical affairs statistics. And for what concerns us today, my main role is also to deal with all the supplementary analysis 
that are necessary for HTA dossiers and natural deliverables that are not part of main clinical trial analysis. So I'm a statistician by training, did my PhD in Freiburg, complex event history analysis, then moved to Ulm for a postdoc, and then I joined Merck in Darmstadt as a data scientist in the global epidemiology group working on all things real-world data. And I joined Daishi Sankyo in August 2020. Okay, so in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> yep. So let's talk about future implications for HTA in Europe. And I think that is really important, even if you're not located in Europe. This topic is important if you're working in phase two, phase three, absolutely. And you'll see from our discussions that will happen in the next minutes that this is relevant for you also if your, your main focus is, is maybe FDA approval or EMA approval. So let's start with that. How, how's the landscape developing in that area? Why is there an upcoming more link between HTA and the clinical part? So maybe I can start with that. So first of all, there's a close link with respect to the timelines now, which will be changing. So at the moment, each country has its own HTA process and timelines deviate a bit. But when you have to submit your dossier, you have to start the discussions on reimbursement of price negotiations. But normally this all starts after at least CHMP opinion is granted. And the European HTA now foresees that the timelines are in parallel to the regulatory approval process. So the companies have to submit the dossier 45 days before CHMP opinion. So there's a lot of work done really in parallel. There might be some more uncertainty about the label still. So you will have a lot of back and forth with regulatory people with the development statistics, how to analyze the data. So there's a close interlink with respect to the timelines, which will be new and a lot more alignment will be needed on that one. Yeah. And of course, there's also the UK, which is now outside of the European HDA area, that already has very early timelines. And other countries like Canada are also maybe earlier than that. Yeah, that's the timeline is very important. What else is important? Well, so because the work we need to start earlier, what might happen is that we need to start and develop a strategy for the dossier with data potentially have not fully read out. That is that potentially, yeah, the strategy will be, will need to be defined on a principled manner. It's kind of decision path. What do I do if this endpoint does not read out or we wish? What do I do if the results are even better than what we expected? So I think that will be also a big implication in the way we were and in the way we will need to work with the other functions as well. Yeah, and also in terms of resourcing, yeah, you need to start putting people on it much earlier than before. Yeah, and maybe also collaboration starts even earlier because there's also a strong focus on in the guidelines now on pre-specification. So you have to start thinking around the HTA process when you plan your trial already and how to deal with those kind of things. So it will be a process different from what we or what many companies or we do normally now. So we start thinking about, okay, what do we need for our dossier once the CSR is available, once the data has read out, but there will be much more earlier collaboration on pre-specification too. That is absolutely key. I think if your phase three and in some cases, even your phase two studies 
are not built for launching the product effectively. You may end up in a situation where you have regulatory approval, but you can't get reimbursement. And we all don't want to end up in this situation. Can you give a couple of areas where that is this collaboration will be specifically important? Katrin, maybe you want to go with that one? Yeah, so of course I can do so. I think it's really important when it comes to definition of endpoints and testing hierarchies. So we now face the challenges or see that the different HTA bodies have different kind of views on how to deal with pre-specification and hypothesis testing and multiplicity. But it looks like from the guidelines we see that there will be a more closer link to what is pre-specified there. So you have to make somehow sure that your endpoints where you want to show your benefit with or your clinical benefit in the dossier somehow within this primary hypothesis testing or at least somehow pre-specified in a way that HTA bodies can accept it. For example, if you think of Germany, surrogate endpoints are always an issue there. They are not accepted, so it might make sense to think about how to specify endpoints. But also when it comes to subgroup analysis, so we see that there is a lot of focus on pre-specified subgroup analysis. Also, when we think of the different PICOs we might have, so the question we want to answer in the dossier for the HTA bodies when it comes to population intervention outcome. They might be based on subpopulations, and there's a lot of need for pre-specification to draw some valid conclusions on the data afterwards. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I, I think also in the HTA process, some endpoints have more weight than what they have currently in the regulatory field. So thinking about the PROs, for instance, and the safety. So... Um, Especially if you go to regulatory with an early phase trial, could be at the moment that the PROs are not analyzed or they are analyzed more descriptively than what you might want for an HTA dossier. Especially in oncology, some of the phase two trials might be single arm and the HTA bodies will be interested in comparison with the standard of care. Yeah, that's a really important topic. I see that all the time at the moment in oncology, but also in rare diseases. That's an important topic. You have maybe small studies or single arm studies and or randomized studies, but the comparator is very small from a sample size perspective. And what do you do with that? What are the kind of hot topics in this area at the moment? What do you mean in terms of methods? Or in terms... Yeah. And how do you overcome this kind of problem with one-arm studies and then small sample sizes, lack of comparisons. So the um, HTA regulation works or use the PICO framework. So where PICO stands for patient intervention comparison and outcome. So where the, all the member states will be able to define which population, which, not really in the Russian, but which comparator and which outcome they will be interested in. So all of these patients patient population or potentially subpopulation countries might be interested in as well as all the comparators won't be available in the pivotal clinical trial. I think the hot topics would be indirect treatment comparison. So being able to, to compare your intervention indirectly with the standard of care in the different countries. What else? Potentially more use of real-world data also to this aim. 
Yeah, completely. I think this is the only way you can get to these points. And fortunately, some of the HDA bodies are much more, more open to that space already. I think the FDA is coming around a little bit <laughs> at the moment, what I see, and is more embracing this area. I'm not sure about the EMA, but for payers, for patients, for physicians, in the end, it's very much about, okay, I need to choose. Do I do the same as before or how much is this better? And uh, yeah, single arm studies, small studies might not be the only way to get to that. And it also reinforces a really good calibration early on in the development process so that you can actually do all these kind of different things. So if you work with someone that has access to registries, access to real-world evidence, and you have the data set or the endpoints that is maybe collected there also in your studies. So that's so important. And it absolutely speaks to the point that kind of like when you think about early phase and late phase, how their statisticians collaborate, People working on the HTA and medical affairs part need to work more or less in parallel as a, as a phase three, phase two, phase three statisticians. Exactly. And then we think of the methodological discussion about indirect comparisons. So we see at the moment a strong discussion of population adjusted methods versus methods using individual patient data on both sides. And we see that there is a favor for methods who use individual patient data, use propensity score-based methods, do pre-specification of potential confounders with a systematic literature search. So there's a lot of things to do and plan up front. You need to make sure you have also data access to your, your if you compare versus real-world evidence to your registry. So you have to have the IPD in-house to do that. So there's a lot of discussion ongoing at the moment on this kind of methodology and how to do that and what kind of Indirect comparison in the end gives us valid results to draw conclusions on. Yeah, absolutely. Now, another interesting area is who do we work with? So we talked a lot about kind of the collaboration within the statistics functions. How about the collaboration outside of the statistics functions? How will that change? And what are key stakeholders we need to be engaged more, much more with? Very important point, Alexander. So there's a lot of stakeholders statisticians have to deal with inside, but also outside of the company. So inside of the company, it's the internal colleagues working in market access, working in commercial, so dealing with the HTA submission, working in health economic outcome research. So a lot of people who are not trained in statistics. And so communication skills and translation of what they mean, what they need, translated into a statistical question and then vice versa. It's very important, but there's also a lot of stakeholders outside of the company, like HDA bodies during scientific advices. So there's a lot of different stakeholders, not just the statisticians talking to each other, speaking the same language. Yeah. And then you have external key opinion leaders. You maybe have patient advocacy groups. There's a whole kind of change of things. And what makes it even more complex is... You're not just dealing with a global organization here if you're working in a pharma company, but you also have all the affiliate work or maybe a European region or an Asian region or whatsoever. There's much more kind of people. If you're thinking about you're working in phase two, phase three, you have this, the study teams and that's about it. Yeah. Then when it's in this space, it can, you easily get into the hundreds of people you need to basically work with. And depending on the 
company size, of course. Yeah, if you're if you're a small startup company and you just launch your first product, it's maybe not that kind of <laughs> large. But if you're working for one of the bigger ones like BMS, AZ, GSK, Lilly, and so on, that can easily go into a lot of people. What are the consequences for us statisticians in terms of that? And also, what does it mean for people that want to join this part of the statistics area? What does it mean for them? Yeah, I think you should be able to yeah to discuss with a lot of different people, with a lot of different backgrounds, and with a lot of different knowledge of statistics. So be able to adapt your language. What other areas of statistics are important beyond, let's say, the typical clinical trial work? I think potentially in the HTA dossier, you, you will like to consider more evidence than just the clinical trials at hand, so that some knowledge of epidemiology and interventional studies might be extremely useful besides the clinical trials. Potentially, real-world evidence will take more space as well. At the end of the day, it's also linked to epidemiology, but at least knowledge of non-interventional studies. Catherine, you have a PhD in data science, if I remember correctly. So not clinical statistics, I would say. How has that helped you in that space? I have to say it helped me a bit to really have a more focus on the broader data space. And, and so as a statistician, I sometimes have the people, I have the feeling that people are focused on the primary hypothesis testing, the alpha adjustment. And they run the test, the trial is positive or negative, and they really just focus on this piece of statistics. But as an HDA statistician, you really want to draw conclusions on the, how huge is your benefit versus the comparator. So have a much broader picture on different endpoints, not focus so much on hypotheses, but really looking for signals, interpreting also secondary exploratory endpoints and draw, draw a conclusion of all the signs, the signals in the data there. And so this point of view from the data science perspective helped me a lot because there you deal with a huge data base and you also look for signals there. You want to draw conclusions on, on what you see there. So this kind of view, not focusing just on the st classical statistics, hypothesis testing, helped me a lot. Yeah. It's, you have a question and you look for what's the best data to answer that question. Exactly. And What is the data scientist kind of a, a approach and not so much like, I have this question, what data do I need to collect to answer it? But you have to be very careful. And I think it's really helpful to work also then as a statistician to have enough statistical rigor to do that. Because, of course, if you search long enough, you will always find a signal that shows what you want to find. I always say, if you, you always find the Easter eggs, you put yourself in the corner of the room. So yeah, and I think it really helps So also to have both sides of the view and then try to, as much as feasible, on pre-specification, on pre-planning of the analysis, not doing really data-driven decisions, but having in mind that not everything is, is within a hypothesis testing framework and that you have to take into account the whole amount of data you have. Yeah, that is really good. Awesome. I think that discussion clearly highlighted there's much more collaboration needed between the clinical side, the kind of FDA-focused side, and the HTA and reimbursement-focused side in the business. And both sides can benefit a lot from learning from each other, working closely together with each other, because it starts already with the design of the studies. 
phase two, potentially, if that becomes a pivotal study in the end, like in oncology sometimes, if you're lucky, or rare diseases, they're so important. But also for all the other kind of, let's say, more common areas where you maybe have more the classical approach. It's also important that you plan your study so that you can get the evidence you need for HCA submissions. And as we mentioned, pre-specification plays a much bigger role. So having a clear strategy on what you will do when also speaks to the point that you need to have HDA statisticians earlier involved in the process. And I think there's a lot of mutual benefit to each other. For example, if you think about network meta-analysis, if you have these in place early on, you can use that for planning your phase three study. Or when you have the readout, you can use another NMA to put your phase three study into perspective. Because what will happen if you have a phase three readout that is positive? People will first say, oh, that's great. How do we do against our comparisons, competitors? And of course, then having an NMA in place will be really key. So I think there's a lot to work together. And last but not least, it will really strengthen the overall position of the stats function with business because you're not just focusing on the R&D part, but you're focusing on the whole commercial company, much more functions that you get involved in when, where you show how you can contribute value to the overall organization, which in the end, I'm pretty sure will be very beneficial to statistics overall. And I personally believe the more influence we statisticians have, the better, because that basically means that there will be more data-driven decisions, there will be more kind of evidence instead of eminence-based decisions. And so I really hope we, we get there in, in the end. Thanks so much. Any final things that you would like to hear as a listener? So maybe I give it a start. So my final thing I want really to say, so it's interesting times. It's a lot of possibilities now to shape this process, to be involved in this process. So I can only encourage the decisions to be curious to learn about HTA, to, to have a look at that field. So there's a lot of things going on and to work on the communication skills because this will be really important in the future. Yeah, these are all very good points. I can only just repeat what I just said. There's something we not mentioned is that I think to be a good HTA statistician is also understanding the need of the market access teams. And one of these needs are the economic modeling that comes afterwards. So I think it's also good as a statistician to have some understanding of, of qualities and general economic modeling that comes afterwards for the pricing negotiation. Yeah, that's a very good point. And stay tuned. There's an upcoming episode with Menoir and again, Katrin, where we will speak exactly about this point. So... If you're listening to this as it just comes out, you need to wait a little bit. If you're listening to this, maybe the other episodes is already live and you can just scroll forward to it. Thanks so much again for this awesome discussion. And just one last thing. this We haven't talked about the HTA Special Interest Group. This is, of course, organized by the Special Interest Group. And thanks so much for the overall kind of 
work on that. If you're interested more in this area, then reach out. It's everything you need can be found on the PSI homepage at psiweb.org. Just look for the special interest groups as a the six and uh, you will find the HTASIC and all the work that they are doing. Thanks so much. Have a great time. Thank you very much. Thank you. This show was created in association with PSI and the HTASIC also belongs to PSI and SPI, of course. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS who help with the show in the background and thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.